um, today, and uh, I want to start as we uh, with this as we begin. Uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter four today, by the way. Um, but as we begin this new message series, um, I, I want to go ahead and make, and, and give credit. I, I can't take credit. Um, I don't want to plagiarize, so to speak. Uh, but the the outlines have come from other people. Okay, now. Not the whole sermons, all right, okay, but the outlines, okay? So the main points will come from a different preacher the, uh, every week, okay? Uh, for this week's message, for today's message, um, it is the outline is from J.D. Greer. J.D. Greer is a pastor um, at, at a church in, um, in North Carolina. He's also the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, okay? Uh, I, had the, I had the pleasure of hearing him speak at the Florida Baptist Convention. He's one of my favorite speakers. I, uh, he's, I have a couple podcasts I listen to, sermons every week, and he's one of them. Uh, he's really, really good. And, and so uh, I want to give him credit for the outline uh, for today. Okay? And so um, I, I want you guys to think as we start today, what comes to mind when you hear the following um, things? Okay, uh, Number one, politician. Okay, liar. I like that this church actually participates back and actually responds, which is awesome. Uh, other than amens, uh, I'm playing. I'm playing. All right, I had to admit, I had to bust your chops a little bit, um, but uh, but anyway, yeah. We we maybe we think sneaky, can't trust them. They only want they're only saying what I want them to hear. Okay, what about um, a CrossFit fanatic? What what comes to mind, Jimmy? What, shape, shape, endurance, endurance right? Like. Uh, Maybe a little bit psycho, a little bit like yeah, let's go. All right, all right, okay, so CrossFit uh, fanatic. What about um, a millennial? Best generation. <laughs> Depends on who you are, right? Um, but but um, odds are that you have certain mental associations with those three things, right? You you, you associate words. What about the word Christian? What about the word Christian? What what comes to mind when you hear the word Christian? Believer. Believer. Amen. You know, odds are that we associate uh, that word with certain characteristics as well. The broader culture also forms impressions of what a Christian is and whether or not they are one. Uh, maybe they, a lot of the times, uh, uh, the kind of, especially in the South, uh, a lot of people grow up going to church and and so they, they equate being a Christian as just, um, I, I go to church. Um, uh, you know, there's no faith in Jesus Christ as a substitution for our sins. It's just, you know, I'm just a good guy. I go to church, all right, um, and, and I, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. In fact, most people will say they are in, when given a servant in America. Um, but what, um, you get a lot of different answers, I'm sure. And from some people, you, you know, uh, you might get some, some pretty negative answers. Oh, yeah, there's Christians, man, a bunch of hypocrites, right? Uh, you, you might get that. You know, the first followers of Jesus, you know, they didn't call themselves Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians at all. In fact, it was a derogatory term used by people outside of the faith. Right? Um, in Acts 11, verse 20C, 20, 26, 20C, 26, we see that the first Christians were known as, quote-unquote, disciples. Uh, Acts 11, 26, and I believe it's on the screen because Miss Rhonda is awesome. Uh, and when he found, found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, but they were called disciples. The disciples there were first called Christians there, but originally they were called disciples. 
So, in fact, this is what I found to be pretty interesting. The word Christian is used three times in the whole Bible. Do you know that? Only three times. Only three times. Uh, the word disciple is used 281 times. 281 times. Disciple is a far more accurate and compelling description of what it means to follow Christ. And as we'll see, the concept of a disciple exposes the fact that many who claim to be Christians may not actually be disciples of Jesus. So the main question I want to ask today is, and I believe Ms. Ron will have it up on the screen, is are you truly a disciple of Christ? Okay. Didn't ask if you're a Christian. Because right? uh, again, we'll get that probably answered yes by most people in the South. All right? But are you a disciple of Christ? And so if you'll go with me now to Matthew chapter 4, and again, I do my best to have most of the Scriptures um, on, the, on the keynote that Miss Rhonda so graciously does for it, works for us every week. Um, some of them might not be, all right? um, but most of them will be. So Matthew 4, if you'll turn with me to Matthew 4, starting in verse 18, we're going to read down to verse 22. Starting in verse 18. This is Jesus. As he, Jesus, was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, may God bless the reading of His Word. Amen. I want to give you a little historical background. I found, I thought this, found this to be very interesting. Um, all Hebrew boys went to Torah school starting at age five. Now, the Torah are the first, is the first five books of the Old Testament. Okay, Genesis, Leviticus, I mean, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay? Uh, and by age 10, hey, all young boys knew the Torah. That's pretty amazing right there, okay, if you ask me. Right? And it kind of puts us on blast as, uh, as churches that we don't you know, uh, you know, treat certain things uh, as important as we used to. But by age 10, all young boys knew the Torah, and the best students went on to study the remainder of the Old Testament. The, re- the rest returned home to work in their families' businesses. Okay? Um, at age 17, if you wanted to go on and make a career out of, rebe- out of religious studies, your next step was to find a rabbi that you admired and apply to become one of his disciples. You would be called a Talmudim, okay? which means student of a sage. When you found one, this is what you would do. You would go, all right, when you found one that you want to follow, uh, you would go and sit at his feet. Okay? This was, that was your request to learn at his feet and to learn from him. Okay, and the rabbi would examine you with questions and put you through a series of tests to see if you are worthy to be his disciple. The rabbis could choose the smartest, most talented boys to be their disciples because they wanted the best of the best. Okay? So that's what they would choose most of the time. Um, another reason the rabbis were so picky is that when they chose a disciple, they were choosing someone whom they believed could become just like them. Okay, so that's important. All right? So don't, don't forget that. Okay, to become just like them, to not just know what they knew, what they knew, but to do what they did. Okay, so they wanted to find somebody. All right, so it was a very selective process, and it's the best of the best. And they wanted to find somebody who would not just know what they knew, but do what they did. For several years, these young people, these young disciples, I tell them, would follow their rabbis, imitating them in every way, because the goal of the disciple was to be like the rabbi. Okay. 
So, so there's, there's your introduction. And again, the question is, are you truly a disciple of Christ? But you know I can't help but say there's a sermon right there. All right? There's another message right there because uh, if the goal of a disciple was to be like the rabbi, and if we're disciples of Christ, what does that make up for us? You see the straight you know, connection there? Okay? Then we should also desire to be like our rabbi, our Jesus, our Savior. So the first point, today, all right, and again, the outline I've, uh, is, I've gotten from Mr. J.D. Greer, uh, but up on top there, you'll see it. Number one, if you're taking notes, Jesus doesn't choose the best, He chooses the willing. And I don't know about you, but I have to say amen to that. Okay, he doesn't choose the best, He chooses the willing, because some of y'all are probably thinking, no, oh, that right, I got, we got Patrick as our pastor, all right, so I'm glad, <laughs> I was a joke on myself, okay, so you didn't have to do it, brother, all right, but uh, Matthew 4, verse 18, so let's look back at verse 18, as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net to the sea, for they were fishermen, what were they again? Fishermen, okay, that was their trade. All right, uh, and see, Matthew says in this chapter, in chapter 4, Jesus, this new rabbi, chooses Peter and Andrew who are fishermen. Now, if you, hopefully you paid attention to what I just said on the background, all right, but I want you to get this. The fact that they are fishermen shows you what? Were they the best of the best? No. Not even a chance. Okay? They are part of the B team. Y'all, y'all going, going up, y'all have the B team? All right? Like we, when I was growing up, it was just Varty and JV. All right, but I think back then they called it the B team. Right? You weren't quite good enough to be on varsity. Look, I know how that is. Okay, uh, I think that's what partly made me a decent coach. Uh, is that I, I know what it meant to be on the B team. I played one year of varsity in basketball, one year of varsity of baseball. That's it. Okay, uh, I played on JV year, uh, for three years. Okay, uh, and then on my last year, now I started and I played and I, I was a captain. So I can relate to so many uh, people on the team. But they were part of the B team. There was one season, speaking of basketball, um, it was Shaquille and them, you guys. Is that your group? Okay. You're, is that your, your group? Okay. All right. So his, his age group, um, we had, we had a, a team. It was a really good team. And we ended up going, I think the same year we went to state. All right. Um, but I think it was, I think it was 2013. Um, and, but the football team was really good, too. And I had a lot of guys who played football. And so you couldn't, they couldn't start basketball until football season was over. Okay? And so we, got, we just happened to have, you know, you schedule the games ahead of time, so you don't know how, you know, how good the teams are going to be and if you're going to be missing anybody. Uh, and so um, we, we're in a, a, a Christmas tournament, in a, not a Christmas tournament, a Thanksgiving tournament in, in, at Statenville, Statenville, Georgia. And we played two pretty, pretty big schools out of Georgia. But we go there and we played because we have, we're missing like three starters. Maybe they're all playing football. And we literally have like four or five guys from JV, from the B team, playing with us. Uh, let's just say it didn't go so well, okay? Uh, we lost both those games, all right? Pretty handy, all right? Uh, it's not uh, Mr. Jim's a big athlete as well, and go Red Sox. But I don't think uh, the Red Sox want to be playing a minor league team against the Yankees, right? So you, you, you want to have that's – not, that's not a recipe for success. Y'all, y'all get me? Okay. All right, y'all, you, you made your point, Pastor. Move on. Okay, trust me, it's not a winning strategy. So, ladies and gentlemen, let, let that sink in, okay, people? When Jesus chose his squad to build his movement, he chose the B team. So, of course, they, want, they went to follow him. Like, uh, this rabbi had chosen them, guys without much potential or personal power, to follow him and become like him, to know God like he knew God, to know what he knew, to do what he did and be filled with his power. Amen. Right? John MacArthur said the following. He said, God skipped all the wise of the day. 
The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. He passed over Herodotus, the historian, forgive me if I mispronounce that, and Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary, it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. The B team. He chose the will. And Jesus chose the B team because His work in the world wouldn't come from their abilities for Him, but from what He would do through them. And isn't that the same for us today? Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 3 through 5. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. The word, you know, the history shows us that Paul may have not been the best speaker in the world. You know, uh, and, and maybe a little bit on the homely side. Okay? Um, from, from, you know, I don't know if that's all depending on the viewer. But anyway, uh, yet he says this, I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, uh, Paul says, Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We're just clay. We're nothing. Right? So, you know, and if it had been something else, like people with a lot of talent and ability would only get in the way. Yeah, right? I mean, uh, because they would never learn to lean on his power. Right? And I was kind of that person for a while. If I could lean on my own power and... You know, I could do, do everything on my own. Jesus taught that His power in the weakest vessel was infinitely greater than the greatest talent without Him. Amen? God wants to use you and your family at your workplace. Stop making excuses that you're not able. Stop making excuses. Because God, again, Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. Okay? He requires only your availability, not just your ability. Okay? As you probably often heard, he doesn't call the equipped; he equips the called. You ever heard that? Right. That's exactly it. He he doesn't call the call the equipped; he equips the called. Have you made yourself available? What can you do for the kingdom of God today? Can you teach? Can can you can you serve? Can you sing? Can you lead? Can you clean? What can you do? First Corinthians 10, verse 31 says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Amen? So again, number one was He chooses the willing, not, uh, not the best. So are you a truly a disciple of Christ? Let's move to point number two. Number two is He chose us, not we Him. He chose us, not we Him. Notice what He says. All right, Follow me, He told them in verse 19, and I will make you fish for people. Now did the fishermen ask Jesus... That they could follow him? No. It's a simple message today, but I hope you still get something out of it. Okay? I mean, which one said, follow me? Jesus did. Jesus, good job, Jimmy. You're doing good, man. I'll give you an A today. Amen. amen. <laughs> All right, get me an amen. He chose us, not we him. I mean, uh, as I explained earlier, the normal way. This all went down is that if you were among the best of your class, you applied to be a rabbi, and if he liked what he saw, he chose you back. Right? Um, now, his selection, you know, if, if that happened, would give you great, a great deal of confidence. If you were struggling, you could say, you know what, but my rabbi believed in me. He chose me. But Jesus started the process back even further. He starts it back even further. They didn't even come to sit at his feet. He came seeking them when they weren't even looking for him. What were they doing? They were fishing. They were fishing. They were busy fishing. See, when Jesus came looking for me, 
I, I, was in a, I was in a bathroom at a bar okay, when Jesus came looking for me. All right? um, when did Jesus come looking for you? Think about that. Jesus, when did Jesus come looking for you? So, some of you may be struggling now in, in, in certain areas, but believe this, if you are Jesus' disciple, He chose you. He chose you. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, amen, a holy nation, a people for His possession. He owns us. So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. That's what we do. We tell people about what Jesus did for us. The idea is that God chose us. About two years ago, a song, a song came out by a Christian band called um, 10th Avenue North. They still sing songs. They're really good. But um, this, for whatever reason, uh, this song really impacted me at that time. I, I don't really know why. Um, I, maybe I was struggling with, um, you, know, you know, am I supposed to be here? Am I supposed to be somewhere else? I'm not real sure. But just listen to the lyrics of this. This is what really touched me. Um, just a few lyrics. It says, God, you don't need me, but somehow you want me. Oh, how you love me. Somehow that frees me to take my hands off of my life and the way it should go. And again, that first part, God, you don't need me, but somehow you want me. The God of the universe wants me. The God of the universe wants you and wants to have a relationship with you and chose you. See, if we had been the one doing the choosing, we probably wouldn't, wouldn't have chosen Christ, would we? I mean, oh, come on, we can act all holy and righteous and more, you know, holier than thou. And Oh, yeah, oh, come on, Pastor, I would have. You sure? Well, see, Jesus tells us in John 15, 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, and that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask in the Father, my name, He'll give it you. Right? He tells us right there, Are you truly a disciple of Christ? Point number three, our primary calling is to be with Him. With Him. Again, Matthew 4, verse 19. Follow me. He told them, and I'll make you fish for people. Follow me. Follow me, he told them. He didn't tell them where they were going, did he? He didn't give them the assignment. He just said, follow me. His primary call is not to do something. It's to become like him, to follow Jesus. And to become like him, you have to know him. You have to know him. Uh, to know him, you have to know his word. I had a... A young man the other day, and he, he might be my one. Um, you know, he's an old former basketball player of mine. And he's like, text me out of the blue, and um, you know, he's like, Coach, I, I just want to start all over with God. I don't know where to start. I'm like, well, I don't know where he was, so I had, so I you know had to give him the you know the the gospel, you know, <laughs> uh, and I don't you know it seemed like he he was struggling with that, and maybe I'm not real sure if he's made that decision or not, and. He's probably going to be my one right? um, that we're going to talk about later on who's your one. But the, I got to the point where I told him, yes, you know, if you made that decision, you know, a lot of people make a decision uh, and then maybe they do it just because somebody else did it. But that's it. And they never come back to church. And Mr. Tommy and I have talked about that before and they never do anything. They just leave it. You know? But, you know, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a relationship. And Brother Jim, I don't know, but I, I, my guess is if, if you never taught Miss Audie, she, that relationship might not be very good, will it? If y'all never talked to each other, all right? If y'all never hung out with each other, Mr. Rick, Mr. Lawrence, y'all never hung out with each other, all right? Mr. Milton, Ms. Shirley, y'all never hung out, all right? That wouldn't help your relationship at all, would it? 
Right? You want to spend time. You want to spend time with, with, with that person. It's the same thing with Jesus Christ. And we have stuff at this church every week that you can do. You know, we, you know, we, we do have Sunday school. All right? We have Wednesday. We have, sun, you know, we have the service. But other than that, what are you doing outside of that? Are you spending time with God? I, Sally will tell you that I had a hard time picking my Bible reading plan this year. I like to read through the Bible. Um, every year all the way through and I had a hard time picking it well she helped me because we decided we're going to do it together okay? it's called Discipleship Journal Bible Reading Plan if y'all want to look it up I have it on a version app all right? uh, but we're going to do that but the point is it, it just and sometimes it gets kind of you know um, kind of tough sometimes you go through Leviticus or Numbers and it gets kind of tough alright but the idea is that you're still dedicating time to spend time with God okay? and He's going to bless it okay uh, and you may not see it right then, but it's just, you know what, God, I don't even understand some of this, but I just want to spend time with you. I want, I want to sit at your feet and be like you. Right? I want to know what you know. I want to be uh, who you are. I want to do the things that you do. Amen? So, get His Word inside of you until it dominates all your thinking and your behavior. Spend time with Christ. So, are you truly a disciple of Christ? We have two more. Number four, to follow Him... We have to leave all. Leave all. Go uh, Look at verse 20, and then we're going to skip to verse 22. Verse 20, immediately they, and that was Peter and Andrew, okay? Uh, they left their, their nets and followed him. And then, <coughs> verse 22, this is James and John. Okay? Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And this is one I feel like I could do a whole sermon about, but y'all like, uh, you know, Patrick, we already have to eat and, you know, have business meeting, but uh, so I won't. But... Why, why, did, why was that identified in verse 20, 22? Those two things. You see the two things that were identified? Okay. The two things that they left? Their boat and who, what else? Father. Okay. And so I love this, and I can't take any credit for this part, cause I, but man, I love it. Uh, the boat okay, represents our career, our careers, okay, the way we take care of ourselves. And the Father represents our most significant relationships. And think about how uh, tough, how difficult it is to give those things up for Christ. You know, those two things have got to be the two toughest things to give up. How I make a living and my family. All right? Especially in the South. Man, those things are so important. You know, a Bible scholar uh, once said, God calls the busy to his business. So be careful. All right? To follow Jesus, he has to take precedence over both of those things. Now, for some of you, God may tell you to, uh, to change careers. And I've told you about how, you know, that was one reason why I quit coaching. Because you know? uh, God had something else for me to go full-time. And eventually, this, came, this, uh, this church came along and called me as your pastor. But uh, the idea of moving to Savannah and working for SCA, that was tough. Because we were going to have to leave our careers and our family, which was really tough for Sally, speaking on her behalf. Right? And so... Uh, Maybe, maybe he will. Maybe he'll t- uh, call you to leave your job and carry the gospel overseas. Uh, for many of you, it, it probably won't be that dramatic. But you'll have moments where you decide which holds gr- greater sway over your life. Most of you won't literally lose your father and mother over Jesus. Some might, and many have. You can look, uh, you read stories online about, you know, especially like in China uh, and other countries who have lost families because of their commitment to Christ. We have a, a tendency to want to cling, cling to those things, don't we? 
I got to keep that job. And like I told y'all last week, I had people in my family who thought I was crazy for even considering working for SEA, leaving a job I only had about eight years left to get, you know, uh, vested in for retirement to work for SCA where I had to make my own, I had to like, like you know, raise my, my support and the money I made. But, you know, it, we have a tendency to hold on to those things. But what y'all remember, I remember Lot, Lot's wife. I remember that? Uh, Genesis chapter 19, angels told Lot and his family not to look back. And what did the wife do? Look back, turn into a pillar of salt. There's a lesson there. Luke 9, verse 62 says, But Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You've got to press forward. Look, I, I love family, and, and we are blessed to have the family that we have. And Estelle and Sally, it's been a great um, you know, uh, holiday season and seeing family. But Jesus is so much more, y'all. And, and, and that's tough because, again, we have a, a really close-knit family. But it's not my God. Jesus is my God. And it's not bigger than my relationship with Christ. Matthew 10 verse 37 says, The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And I read a little background on this. And Jeff Robinson said, quote, Jesus is not demanding that you literally hate your family. He is using hyperbole to illustrate the steep cost of following Him. Any prospective follower must be glad to give up everything, to love Him unreservedly, to sell all in order to have Him as your highest treasure. Like in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. In his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. See the difference there? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Giving everything to Christ. Are you truly a disciple of Christ? Last, uh, last point today. He commands us to spiritually reproduce. Spiritually reproduce. Look in verse 19 again. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. See, following Jesus means you subject everything in your life to his lordship. Um, and just like he was a fisher of men, his followers would become fisher of men as well. This is a central part of being a disciple. It's, it's not something that's only a few, a few of us do. Uh, it's something that each of us should do. Okay? There's no such thing as a non-reproducing Christian. Charles Spurgeon once said, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Those are strong words. Either a missionary or an imposter. How do you prove that you're a disciple? By bearing fruit. And if you're not bearing fruit, you have reason to question whether you're a disciple at all. John 15 verse 8 says, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And then Jesus tells us about the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember I'm with you always to the end of the age. In Greek, uh, the words go, baptize, and teach are all participles that derive their force from the one controlling verb, which is make disciples. Pretty interesting. Everything is centered on that, make disciples, which means that everything we, grow, we do grows out of the call to make disciples. Jesus summarizes ministry by saying this in Luke 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. It's real simple. If we are His disciples, that's how we should summarize our lives too. Amen? 
In his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, Robert Coleman said, quote, when, when will the church learn this lesson? Preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism, nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers uh, do, do this job. Individual women and men are God's method. God's plan for discipleship is not something, not something, but someone is us. Amen. Evangelism, again, we said this many times before. D.T. Niles said evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And aren't people hungry for spiritual bread, guys? Amen. They might not know it, but there's a God-shaped hole in every one of us. Okay? Are you truly a disciple of Christ? Conclusion, we are, we are God's method. We want to, we want... I want to do this, and I want all of us to become that this year. So we want you to commit to it, and, and don't let it in, intimidate you. And I, I'm going to ask uh, Jimmy, if you don't mind, to, to pass these out for me as I, as I wrap up here. All right, you don't mind, sir. Okay. <clears throat> Disciple-making is simply teaching someone to follow Jesus as you follow Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has promised to help you. Because we surely can't do it on our own. Acts 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And, and some of y'all know this, but Ju Jerusalem was where they were whenever he, he, he delivered these, those words to them, uh, to the people. So it was where they were. And then it says in Judea and Samaria. So the state... Uh, you know, Florida, Georgia, going out to maybe even America. Right? And then it says to the end of the earth. And thankfully, we you know we have missionaries that we support and, and I'm sure that we, you know, that we pray for. Um, and, and God may or may not call you to, to be a missionary overseas, but you can still give to that. You, know, you can still pray for those things. So what I'd like for you to do right now is to identify your one. Identify your one. Oh, you want awesome. okay. So uh, if you have a pen, I want you to think about your one. And what, what, do, I, what do I mean by that? Um, I want you to think of what one person that you're pretty sure does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. What one person do you, is that for you that you can commit to praying for and, and, and being used by God to share the good news of the gospel to that person this year? Just one. Okay. Now, hopefully it'll be more, right? But this is, and, and, and I've t I told you we're going to do this. And again, this is from the Southern Baptist Convention, but I, it's not just a com Southern Baptist associational thing. I, I think this is really, really good. It's a great idea. And we've been kind of leading up to it uh, as we've done the gospel above all. Didn't even know we were, but we kind of were, all right? Kind of funny how God works that out. Did you guys know I, um, that there are over 6,500 people in the five-mile radius of this church? 6,500 people. Okay. Uh, I had the, the report done. Uh, actually, Mr. Jim, my Uncle Jimmy got it done for me because he's got, he's got greater power than I do. Uh, and, and I had a little report done for, for our area. Um, 6,500 people in the five-mile radius. And 55% of them, which is about 3,500, say that they're not involved in church or just somewhat involved in church. That's a lot of people right here okay, that we could... You know, maybe have something to do about that, and it, and it may not be those people. It may it may be I don't know. Right? Uh, maybe somebody you already have in mind, 
But I want you to help, ask God to help you identify one person you can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, bring to faith in Christ this year. And I'd like for you to write that person's name down um, there. Who's your one and on, on this part here. Okay? And I just want to keep it for now. I'm not going to have you give me anything. I just want to keep your little bookmark. Okay? You can tear it off and keep it, this part in your Bible if you want to. I may ask for these you know, in about a month. Just to, you know, and maybe I can actually, uh, we can actually pray for these people. You know, um, on uh, on Wednesday nights. Okay. Um, in fact, we may. If you feel, if you want to go ahead and do that, uh, if you feel comfortable, you could go ahead and and put that in the. In, I'm gonna say you can put that in the plate if you want to, and we'll we'll go through it. If, you know, and add those people to our prayer list on Wednesdays. But can you imagine what it would look like if every one of the people here today uh, did this and asked God, God, give me one person I could bring to Jesus. It would it would double, right? You know, um, one more person. So as we ask Mr. Loris to come up, and uh, also, by the way, um, during, during the lunchtime, during dinner, I'm going to give you a, a, uh, a prayer guide, okay? Uh, I only made 10 copies, okay? So families can... can uh, it was running all, all morning during Sunday school. It was still running when, uh, you know, and it wasn't finished. So I'll make sure I give you one. It's just a brief... Uh, it has, a, you know, the scripture, all right? Um, there and it has like a kind of a prayer guide to pray for that person for the next 30 days. So I just want to ask you guys if you would to commit to doing that for the next 30 days, okay? Um, and, and I have somebody in mind. I actually have a couple people. It's hard for me to pick just one. Maybe you're probably the same way, uh, but but try to. So last question as we as we have uh, ask Sally to come as well. Um, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple? Truly? Because if not, maybe you're the one today. Maybe you're the one. Maybe you're a Christian. Uh, you do. You have given your life to Christ, but you haven't felt like you've been much of a disciple. The altar is open. You come speak to me. Go to the altar. And I want to end with this. Um, there are three places that you could that you could be today. And I know it's kind of uh, running a little late today, but it's a little bit longer, okay? You could, you're, you're probably in one of these three places. You could be at a come and see, right? Uh, like John 1, 39 says, come and you'll see, he replied. Right? Come and you'll see. Maybe you're in a come and see stage. And, or you have, maybe, you have, maybe you're one is that person who's in, in that stage. They kind of come and they're kind of seeing about Jesus. They come to church. They're kind of checking you out, checking your life out. Maybe that's you. Maybe, you're, maybe you're already at a come, you've already done the come and die. The come and die. John 12, verse 25 says, the one who loves his life will lose it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And you've already committed that you say, God, I'm I'm all I'm hundred percent. I'm for you. Hopefully we're we're past those two and we're at go and tell. Right? Go tell it on the mountain. Amen. Go tell it on the mountain. Go therefore make disciples of all nations. So hopefully that's where most of us are today. Wherever you are, the altar is open. I'm here and uh, as we sing, Miss Sally. Page three twenty one, the 